Well, I'm not sure uh, where you are this morning, but that was a great place to come to, wasn't it? <laughs> right there, uh, before the throne. Um, we're, we're in the middle of this series. It's, you know, that's exactly where we're at, is, is how great God is, how, how big the story is. And uh, we're, we're journeying through the text, but in a way that's kind of holistic, in a way that it starts in the beginning, and, and it's going to end um, wherever God leads us. And uh, in the middle, we're just learning as much as we can about what he is saying through his word, what he's been saying for so long to generations of followers of Jesus. And uh, we are counted among them. It's just an amazing thing. And I'm not sure if you were here a couple weeks ago, but, but we started out talking about when, when, we, when we come to God, when we relate to God, we totally come because God is. And um, <clears throat> it sounds like a, uh, maybe a crazy place to start, but you know, so much of our our lives, we act like God is not. So much of the time that we spend uh, day in and day out, we act like God is not. And so I, I just, I feel in my own life, one of the biggest struggles is to confess daily that God is God and I am not. And he said this when he named himself I am, right? And uh, we struggle with that uh, because we always attempted uh, to usurp his authority or to want that authority for ourselves and it's not ours to have. And then last week, we talked um, about the creation narrative. And by the way, did all of you get to go out and enjoy some of God's creation this week? I mean, we're just hitting a beautiful time of the year for that here in the Midwest, where everything's coming alive. And I know it's been raining a lot, <laughs> you know, like rain, rain, go away. It's gorgeous right now. It looks gorgeous. You know, yesterday, it was just like right on that. Did you guys get outside yesterday? Did you go out early in the morning yesterday? Yesterday was one of those days where if you go out early, it's like you're discouraged. I was discouraged because I went out in shorts and flip-flops. I was like, whoa, it's cold. And, and then uh, later I went back out after I went back and had some more sleep. Uh, it was nice. It was really nice. And um, I hope you took a chance this week to just, just dwell in God's creation. That's the second part of the story of God. God is and that God created. He spoke and we came to be. It's an overwhelming truth, overwhelming. And, um, and, then, and then this week, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, so it kind of goes like this. It goes, it goes, God is, God did, and today is kind of we did, <laughs> okay? So God created. Remember, the last thing God said to us last week was, um, uh, it is very good. Whenever God finished his creative work, the text tells us that he stood back and he looked at it and he said, it is very good. And so uh, that's where we come to today. Uh, we enter the scene, God's very good creations. And, um, and uh, so we're going to spend some time talking about the next step of the narrative. Um, but I'm not sure, have, have, you, guys, have you guys ever been, um, I always had April Fools. Have you ever been tricked? Yeah? Did anybody get April Fooled this year? Did anybody get you with any, a couple of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did anybody get that, um, that emails, emails that say, um, click here and turn your volume up and look really close at the picture? <laughs> I, I got, a few years ago, I was, um, I was at Washington University working over there, and someone sent that to me, and I was, in a, I was in a room all by myself in a closet. That's where I worked, believe it or not, at Washington University in a closet. And uh, I, was, I, was up, I was up, and I was looking 
at this thing, I was like, there's no, I don't know what else was looking for, something on the table, I don't know, and I was li literally, whenever the, the scream guy came on, I literally fell backwards, over, tripped on my chair, flipped backwards in a closet that was like this wide, hit my, it was awesome. It was well done. And the greatest thing was there was no way there to see it but me. I mean, it was just so funny. I just laughed and laughed. It was just so ridiculous. And, uh, and so today we're going to talk about deception, you know, and um, I don't know, do, you, do, you, do, we, do we know the story of deception in the Bible, the, the first narrative? You know, after creation, what is it? Who can tell me the story? Let's piece it together real quick. I've given you a little hint. What is it? Huh? Go ahead. Yeah, okay, we ate some fruit, right? And what else? Anybody, what else? That's it? That's all we know? We ate some fruit, <laughs> things went bad. <laughs> From there on, it was not good news anymore. Is that it? Huh? By questioning and doubting God, is that what? Did he really say it? Yeah, so that's very good. Because, you know, it's funny. I think sometimes we go back and we re-examine the stories and we hear things, maybe for the, for the first time again. Um, we bring so much assumption to the text of what it says. And one of the great um, things about studying the Bible is that when you actually look at what the Word says, sometimes it doesn't say what we believe or maybe what we've always believed it says. Um, and so today we're going to talk about, but I'm going to talk about a little deception. This one's not, well, this I'll have to try. So I came home from work this week, and um, by the way, it's been a crazy week, just life, you know. And I came home, and, and my son, Nathan, yes, there he is, um, was sitting there eating an apple. <laughs> and I was like, sinner. No, I wasn't. <laughs> You know, who should eat apples? An apple a day keeps the doctor away? Are you serious? Did you read the Bible? It says fruit. It doesn't say apple. But this is what we always think of. But he was eating, and he was eating a half an apple. He was eating an apple that was a half, you know? And I said, hey, what's up? And he goes, I just broke this apple in half with my bare hands. <laughs> and I said, nuh-uh. And he said, yeah, I did. And it was this perfectly split. And so I was like, that's crazy. And so I went over to the apple pile and I grabbed an apple. I don't even want an apple, but I want to break one in half, <laughs> you know. And I said, how'd you do it? And he goes, you got to dig your fingers in up here. You know, you take the stem out, you dig your fingers up there, and you push and you twist and this and that, and you just got to really try, Dad. It's going to work. <laughs> you just got to really try. And I grabbed it, you know, and I started. My, now, and then John comes, and I started to, and now I'm getting a crowd you know, in my house, because <laughs> you're dad. <laughs> and Nathan's going, you can do it. You can do it. And I just pulled and pulled, and it started to squirt juice. I mean, these things will come apart eventually, you know. And then it, and then it just kind of broke, and it was ugly. Like, it was like, it, apple pieces went all over, you know, and, and um, it wasn't like his at all. It was like all jagged, and I was just, I go, well, I did it, you know, <laughs> save some face. Well, I did it, right? And he said, um, I, I started eating my just destroyed apple. It's like applesauce in some spots, and I'm eating it. And he says, he starts laughing. I said, what? And he goes, well, I cut mine. <laughs> and I would had like, I mean, I had like sticky everywhere, all over the kitchen floor. And I was like, oh, that's good. 
that's funny. But I tell you what, it really was bugging me. It was really bugging me because he did. And I was going to use that as an illustration today. I'm like, I'm going to cut an apple. I'm going to have somebody from, you know, one of you guys. I was going to trick you this morning. And I was going to have you try it. And you know what I did, though? I went out and looked on the internet. And you know what? You can. You can tear an apple in half without a knife. Without a knife. I didn't cut that. And I just thought it was such a funny, odd thing. Because I thought it was hilarious that he had deceived me. I mean, I didn't have stupid, right? But I thought that was good. I mean, this is one of those jokes. But then lo and behold, there was a truth out there that I didn't know. You can. You can do it. And um, that's where our story starts today, is in this perfect garden where, you know, you can just imagine the scene. Everything is beautiful and great. And then... Um, deception enters. And uh, I want to read the word together this morning and uh, glean some truth from it uh, by the grace of God. But let's begin like we always begin. And let's, let's begin it by praying to God that he would open our hearts and minds to the word and the word to our hearts and minds. Father God, we are grateful to be here in your presence today, gathered in your name, in the holy name of God, of you, of Jesus, of the I am of the eternal God. And we come today seeking you and knowing you and knowing the most amazing thing is that you love us, that you love us and that you care for us. And Father, today as we come to your word, I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds, that we would seek truth, that we wouldn't just run to familiarity, Lord, but we would look for the truth in your word today, that our hearts would be convicted in those places that are not right with you the evil corners, those dark places of our lives, that you would get in there and ferret out the evil one, that we might be holy, pure before you, sanctified in Jesus' blood. We give you praise and glory today because we know the work you are doing and the work you have done. You are a great and awesome God, and we just thank you for everything you've done and everything you're doing and everything you're going to continue to do. We just give you great uh, praise and glory today. And we pray all these things because Jesus said so. Amen. And so let's open the word together. It's Genesis 3 is what we're going to be working out of today. And um, it's going to be on page 2, not far, far from last week's. If you use one of our Bibles, it's on page 2. And I just want to read the whole, the whole story. But I would challenge you as we're reading it, just listen to it and, and maybe look for things that maybe you wouldn't expect to find in the text. Maybe something that you had missed the other times you've heard the story. This is what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will surely die. Well, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Because God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will always be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. Because dust you are, and to dust you will return." Adam named his wife Eve because she would become mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed to the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and flaming swords, a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is a story we've heard before, isn't it? And it's one of those stories that you just almost, you can almost tell it, like Harry did over here, from memory. And yet, the story is so instructive to where we are in our lives, even today. Even today. Remember, this is the first book written in the Pentateuch. One of the first recorded stories, narratives of God. And here we find ourselves thousands and thousands of years later in the same exact spot. In the same place as Adam and Eve. We don't know the garden like they did. We, we don't know what it meant to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and hear the Lord. But we do know what it means to be broken before him. And so I want to go through and just talk about a few things, and there's so much stuff in here, but we're going to hit this, these main kind of ideas about how, what this means to us in our lives today. There's so much interaction in the story. There's so many characters. Well, I was asked earlier, you know, hey, tell me more about the story. I wanted to hear some of the characters in the story. Who is doing what and when? How does that stuff happen? But one of the things that the story opens up with here is this deception that starts. And as Carrie said exactly, it starts with a little thing, a little conversation. Not a big thing, but a little thing. And uh, it moves on to bigger and bigger things. And uh, one of the lessons that, that it seems this text teaches us is that big falls start small. 
really big things in our lives, really huge mistakes, start as a tiny, 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 tiny thing. And I just want to go through the text here and notice what happens. It says, the servant was more crafty in verse 1 than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. By the way, one of the things that I'm surprised that no one said it was that there was a serpent. You know, the serpent is one of the, God's creatures in the garden talking with men. So there was this communal sense of what was going on. I, I don't know how, you know, whenever I was born and raised about the Garden of Eden, I always thought it was like Satan on the tree. Now, he's a deceiver here, for sure. But I literally thought it wasn't like just a snake. It was just a snake. And as a matter of fact, I love how what carries over here about the way, the inflection you can use. But listen to what the serpent says. He's talking to the woman, right? And the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, there's a couple ways you could say that. And at first I read, I'm like, well, all he asked was a question. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? But as we read on, when the encounter continues, it becomes clear in verse 4 that he has other intent. He, he's really being deceiving here. So it's fair to inflect then that when he says, he says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said to you? And listen to Eve's response. She replies and she says, we can eat fruit from any tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from a tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll surely die. Now, when you're reading this part of the story, you might want to ask yourself, what did God say anyway? What did God say? Well, let's go back and read it. It's in chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because when you eat of it, you will surely die. One of the temptations we have is to exaggerate things, isn't it? God gives a clear command. You can have anything you want but don't eat this. Now, what's funny about this is if, if any of your parents or children, you know, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things is uh, to be told not to do something, right? I mean, it's like the worst. Some of the parenting advice that we've gotten, people is like, don't tell your kids not to do it because, oh boy, <laughs> you know, that'll be the first thing they're going to do. But that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because that assumes there's a distrusting relation. There's not a trusting relationship building here right, going on. And so, but there's an exaggeration there. Did God really say you can't eat from any fruit and any tree in the whole garden? And he was like, well, no, he didn't say that at all. I want to show you one other thing before we get too far into this first part. I want to go to, um, I have it here, I think. It's the book of James. And uh, we'll just read it together instead of flipping there real quick. But this is how the little bitty things start so small and get big. James, one of the last books of the Bible, says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's not, God's not in the tempting business. But each one is tempted. Now read what it says. When by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. It's the little things in our life that kind of start to whisper questions, that kind of start to ask us to doubt, kind of start to, you know, call us into this place of starting to go, yeah, wait a minute. Evil desires, our own evil desires, tempt us and drag us away. 
And look what it says. Then after desire has been conceived, right, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. One of my favorite passages and one of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of James. And um, I just love that there's a very clear progression there that's exactly spoken here in the very first book of the Bible. It's these little things that drag us away. It's these little things that drag us away from God and his sovereignty and his, his will for our lives and his spoken word for our lives. As a matter of fact, the way you could say, James, is our desire entices, our, our uh, conceived desire equals sin and it leads to death. So it goes desire, sin, death. Desire, sin, death. Say it with me. Desire, sin, death. That is the model that's exactly, that's followed throughout scripture for how we fall, how we fall so easily. I just want to encourage you. I was, you know, out doing some, enjoying God's creation and doing some yard work. I don't know if you guys got doing yard work this week, right? The dandelions are bananas, aren't they? Like, they're the craziest things ever. If your grass could grow like your dandelions, we'd all have, like, golf course lawns, you know, I mean, the stuff would be mowing grass all the time, actually, but I, I, was, I was looking, and there were some dandelions that had gotten way out of control, way out of control, and our weir is broke, it's been broke for a while, and, and I, they were just driving nuts. These things were like this, they were like crazy, like that tall, you know, and I thought, how am I going to get those things out? You know what, I, I started to kind of go over there and knock them down, I went over there, and I grabbed them by the base, and I pulled pretty hard, and it came out, the whole thing came out. If you cut them off, they'll be up tomorrow. I bet you right now, the ones we mowed over, they're like standing up like, hey, good morning. You know, I'm back to ruin your lawn, which I'm not sure the whole weed thing anyway, but, but they were very shallow rooted. And I started to look at the littler ones and I thought, well, let me try that guy. And pop, he came right out. Came right out. And it reminded me as I did it, and I don't know if you have that kind of mind to think about those things in your daily life, this practicing the presence of God. But in that moment, it wasn't because I was preaching today, I started thinking, this is like sin. This is like sin in my life. I wait till it becomes this huge, stinky, ugly problem that everyone can see, and then I go, I can't fix that. But these little things, oh, I can pop them out of the ground. God has empowered me to do that in my life, to know. He's like, look at that little thing. And I'm like, I don't want to look at it, Lord. No, look at it. I don't want to. Get rid of it. Get rid of it now. And so I want to encourage you, in those little places of your life where, where God is speaking and he's saying, pay attention to this. Look at this. Don't ignore it and let it grow into full-blown sin that leads to death. The desires can be plucked from the ground much easier. And I would encourage you in your walk to pray about that and to seek that out in your life, to do that work in the little things. So there's this tendency that we have to exaggerate. The serpent is on the tree and he's saying, it isn't really that all of it. You can't have any of it. You know, it reminds me of a two-year-old, like, fine, I'll never eat again. You know what I mean? Like God said, don't eat from this one thing, but everything else you can have right? And we might stand and go, well, why did God do that? You know, doesn't God know how we are? That's kind of a, a silly thing to do, because you know if you say, don't do it, we're going to do it. God is God, and we are not. Remember week one. And so, there's an exaggeration of the burden that they're facing in the Garden of Eden. The whole place, the whole place is created for man to enjoy, to live in, to care for, and here. There's an exaggeration of the truth. Here's the other thing. In verse, in verse 3, 
when she repeats back what God said, I don't know if you caught it, she says, you must not eat from the tree of the garden in the middle, in the middle of the garden. That's what she said. Right on, Eve. You must not touch it or you'll surely die. And I went, really? Did God say don't touch it? If you read 2.15 and 17, God didn't say don't touch it. We have a tendency to add requirements. You know, God gives us very simple commands. We talk about it here all the time. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And we go, yeah, that's good. I got it, Jesus. Matter of fact, I was reading the Gospel of Mark, and the Shema is right before that. Remember, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. Love God, love people. Remember God, love him, love people. It's so simple. And we go, yeah, 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 got that, Jesus. But, you know, I've been thinking. Maybe we should just stay even further away. Maybe we should just even move ourselves further, you know, and we get these kind of crazy ideas of drawing bigger and bigger circles around the things that God encourages us to do or not do until it becomes overwhelming. Let's just take him at his word. He said, don't eat from, you can eat from any tree you want, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As a matter of fact, he even tells them what's going to happen if they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He tells them what it is. He tells them, don't do it. And Eve says, we must not touch it. Now, by the way, Eve wasn't created whenever God gave Adam the, the instructions, which means what? She had to hear it from Adam. Yeah. So you wonder what Adam was thinking here. Did he, did he, did he think like, wow, this woman's great, but I better tell her not to touch that tree. Like, it doesn't say, you know. She's kind of crazy. She might touch it, and then she might eat it. So let's, let's make a bigger boundary. Let's put a fence around the tree. Let's not go in the middle of the garden at all. Let's just end up over here on the very outer edges. Well, that's not what God said. God said, have it all, but don't eat from that tree. And I'm not sure where that happened, that communication happens, but there's this tendency we have to add our own requirements to what God requires, to what God asks for, to what God demands in our lives. And then we, we tend to mix truth with a little bit of lie. In verses 4 and 5, listen to how the serpent replies when she says, you know, don't touch it or you'll die. So you just got the die part right and the, and the don't eat it right, right? And then it says this, uh, you will sh not surely die as a serpent's words to the woman because God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. Huh? Do you know what just happened there? The serpent told the truth. Sort of. Right? He says, the reason God don't want you to eat from that tree is because if you do, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil and you'll be like God. Look at the, look at the end here um, of uh, chapter 3. I'm going to find it right quick. The man has now become like one of, it's so verse 22. And the Lord said, the man has now come, become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and live forever. It's exactly what the serpent said. If you eat from it, you'll have knowledge of good and evil. But here's the problem. The first thing he said is what? You'll not surely die. What do you call 98% truth? A lie. 
<laughs> what do you call 98% truth? A lie. And we, we do this every day in our lives. We, we have the truth. And then we just like to mix in a few things because we think it's going to help or, or we think it's going to, I don't know, maybe we, just, we have a deceiving, deceiving heart. And it makes the whole thing a lie. The whole thing a lie. And we have a tendency to do that. And here is the trap that, that's fallen into by Adam and Eve. I just thought it was striking that the serpent was telling mostly the truth and a little bit of lie. So here's, here's the result then, right? So after, after this, this happens, um, the woman sees that the, uh, the tree is good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, and she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes both were opened. It's exactly what happened. And they realized they were naked, and so the, they sold fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, right? And so here's what happens whenever they sin together. By the way, the Apostle Paul makes a big deal about saying, the woman ate the apple, <laughs> you know? I'm not. I'll tell you why. The woman ate the apple. But where was the guy? Right there with her. Standing there, probably looking stupid. You know what I mean? I'm not, I, I despise what's happening right now in our country with making fools of men. But you know, men are fools when they aren't men. And you sit there and you stand between, you're listening to this conversation, and you were the one that God told about the tree. And you knew the truth. And you're standing right there and you watch her be deceived. Oh, don't tell me it's the woman's fault. Where was Adam in this moment? So he's standing right there, it says, and she hands it to him, and he eats it, and the point is, the whole thing is a wash. By the way, if you're going to get kind of self-righteous here, because it's easy to do, you can think, hey, I wouldn't eat the apple. If God told me not to eat the apple, I wouldn't eat the apple. I guarantee I wouldn't eat it because of the fruit. You know what I mean? You can just convince yourself in your mind how holy you are. No way God won't do it. Uh-uh, not going to happen. I was browsing a Christian website. This has been years and years ago whenever I was a new Christian, and I was just looking around and reading scripture and I was all excited all excited about the word of God and how honest and true it is and I was so passionate about him and I looked over in the sideboard and I was like you know study notes Bible and I was just reading down the list I can't remember what all was there you know testimonies whatever it was and I got down at the bottom and it said don't click here <laughs> I'm not kidding you it said don't click here I worked in IT so I roll my mouse over that thing, and you know the pointer turned into a finger? <laughs> oh, I can click there. And I literally sat there and looked at that, and I thought, who are you to tell me what to do? Are you kidding me? Well, I did it. And you know what it said? Welcome to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I went, oh. This is the same problem, problem that Adam and Eve had. And I went, oh, Lord, you got me again. We have hearts for disobedience. And here, it's, it's just manifest in them. But if there, if there were, you know, I love, if there were no original sin, there would be sin today. No way. We don't have it in us. It's maddening. So here they are. They're in the garden. This is what happens. And then the next, the next part of the story and we're going to roll through here pretty quick, but this is what it says. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the God in the cool of the day. And I just want to say what happens next is this, and it's something we love to do when we're caught in sin. When we're caught breaking the law of God, here's what we'll do. We will start to play the blame game, right? 
we often try to deny sin by playing the blame game. The blame game is, it's not my fault. If you read where it's, what it says here, it says this. It says, I was afraid because I was naked in verse 10 and 11. He says, who told you were naked? And this is a rhetorical question, isn't it? Because it's God. Have you eaten from the tree the command, that command you have to eat from? And the man says, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate it. So Adam says, it's not my fault. She gave me the apple. First person passing the buck. The blame game, right? And then God goes to Adam and says, what have you done? And she says, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It's not my fault. Isn't it striking that the only person doesn't try to justify himself for the holy God of all creation is the serpent? He's the only one that goes, oh, no. You know? Like, but God isn't deceived. God knows that the blame game doesn't work. Here's the problem for us. We play the blame game all the time. That's not my fault, Lord, if, if only I was in a different situation. If, oh, Lord, if, 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 and we're just full of excuses instead of being obedient to God and letting him dwell in our hearts and live out through the Holy Spirit. And I mean that every day we'd have victory over sin, but we don't. And we just blame everything else. It's my job. It's my spouse. It's the mortgage. It's the stress. It's everything else, but it's not our fault. It's not our fault. The problem is, we, like Adam and Eve, are sinners. The blame game does not, does not work. And the worst part of this is, and it happens actually when Adam does it, there's a subtle inflection there that Adam does when he talks to God, and this is the way he starts it. He says, the woman that what? Ha ha. Ha ha. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how does that feel to the God who said, here's everything that's very good. Don't eat from that tree. Because if you do, you'll surely die. And after you've done it, you go, you did this to me. It's like the biggest miscarriage of justice ever. To blame God for what we freely chose. And we do it all the time. We're having a hard time in our life. How could this happen? How could you do this to me, God? And yet, we were the ones that when that little thing happened, we didn't pluck it out. When that little place came in our lives, we didn't go and shine God's light in it. All right. So here's the thing. And this is in here. When God gives instruction, he is stating fact, not opinion. You see, God's instructions here, they aren't an opinion. God isn't saying, if you eat from this tree, we might have to readdress what's going to happen in your life. We might have to reevaluate this whole Garden of Eden experiment I got going. God says, don't eat it. If you do, you will die. I think this is the biggest difficulty we have following and trusting God, trusting God's word, trusting God's church to rebuke and correct us. It's because we don't believe that God knows what he's doing. The assumption here with the garden is it'll be okay. It's just one tree. What's it going to hurt? But it destroys everything. God stated it as fact. Am I making sense here? I want to be clear. He said, if you eat it, you'll, you'll eat from the tree of good and evil, and you will surely die. It will happen. It is a fact. And yet we find ourselves in today's uh, times, and I think it's been all times, negotiating our sin with God. Well, I know you said it's bad, but I got, I th I'm thinking there's something different here, Lord. I, I know you created everything, but I got this other plan. 
I got this other way to deal with it. I can control this. I'm not going to be consumed by it. It's simply not true. You will surely die. James said it, right? We're enticed away to sin. Sin leads to death. That's it. When God states these things, he states them as a fact, not an opinion. You see, today we are addicted to our own opinions. We think what we, mat- what we say matters more than anything else. Well, I don't see it that way. We're so used to debating each other, we get into debates with God. I don't see it like that, God. That's not how I roll. That's not the way I work. That's not how I live my life. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because it's fact. God said it. And that's a very hard thing to deal with. That's why also I would say be in your word. Be in the word. Be in there with your own eyes and your own ears, prayerful heart, reading and discerning the truth from the word because people will add those boundaries that are false boundaries. Know what God says do and don't do and then do it or don't do it. It's that simple. God says if you do this, it'll happen. And every time it happens. Every time. And then... uh, our disobedience has implications. You know, the, the, the truth cannot lie. And I, I, I've seen about this. And it's like, if there was no repercussions for Adam and Eve eating from the tree of good and evil, God would be a liar. But I don't think that God said, oh, I got to prove my, you know, that's how we do as parents now. Well, I got to stand my ground on this one. No, God, it's a fact. The truth cannot lie. And he isn't acting out of any vengeance here. This is what would happen. And I told you what happened. And now you've done it. And it will happen. Do you understand the difference? Do you see where I'm going with that? It's not that he was looking for attribution for the sin. It was a fact. How would God know that? Uh, Because he created everything. He knew it was sinful. Our disobedience has implications, very real implications, tangible things in our lives. It changes stuff for us. And then we have the audacity to lament God when God says clearly, bad choices have results. Here's the good news. Because, man, this is where we're at. All this stuff, all this bad news. We've done it. We've been there. We are Adam and Eve. And here's the good news. I want you to look at verse 21 with me. I was blown away as I'm reading the narrative of the sin that Adam and Eve had created, as a matter of fact. And and, uh, even after they fall, even after they've done this, they've broken the one rule he gave them. Don't eat from that tree. Look at what it says in verse 21. The Lord God, right, Yahweh Elohim, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and they clothed them. And he clothed them. So here it is. The moment of defiance, the moment whenever we're just lost, passing the buck don't work anymore. We have failed. And in that moment, even after we've failed, God covers us. Even in that moment, knowing the fact that they're going to be sent out of the garden, he won't be in communion with them like he has been. He makes them garments. And I tell you what, I don't know what garments you've been sewing together. You know what it says when they first realize they're naked, they put together fig leaves, or not fig leaves, but leaves, right? There's my <laughs> sticking things in the text. They sewed together leaves to cover their nakedness, right? How long would that garment last, I wonder? <laughs> you know, like, this is a pretty short-lived garment, I would think. I mean, can you imagine walking around? And here, after God has this honest conversation with them about what happened, 
He gives them all a chance to be honest about what has happened. The facts are the facts. Justice is demanded. And after he tells them everything's going to happen to them now, God, the ultimate truth sayer, stops and makes garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothes them as he sends them on their way. That's where we find Jesus. Because you and I have all lost our way and we have all sinned and we've all fallen short. And you know, in that place in our lives, if you're tired of sewing together fig leaves, if you're tired of trying to make your own costume, I would encourage you today to receive Jesus as your covering. God provides a way, even now. Thousands of years of sinfulness, all paid for on the cross. We're going to have the guys from um, uh, Greg Sanders' band come back up and do a closing song. But I want to encourage you today. I know when I worked this text this week, I was so convicted in my heart about the places that I'm trying to, to pretend I'm okay before God. And I'm making my own little solutions to a God-sized problem. I want to encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus is your Savior, I'd encourage you to receive him today. There's no magic here. He's Yahweh. He was sent into the world to redeem us from our sin. Have an honest conversation. Accept God's solutions. It's far better than our own constructs. Are there areas in your life you're disobedient? Are there areas in your life you've been playing the blame game? Do you need forgiveness today? Do you need covering? I'm going to invite you today. If you want to come up and pray, I would love to pray with you today. If you don't want to pray, it's not about a show. You want to talk and pray later, contact somebody at the church, a friend who's here with you today, one of the leaders, myself, Pastor Matt, Pastor Corey. We'd love to pray with you. It's not about us, but it's about finding a true solution to a God-sized problem. I would encourage you today to reflect on the word. Amen. Amen.